We serve a good God, amen? amen? If we could all stand to our feet, please, as we read the word of the Lord today. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says this, it says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who, has, <clears throat> he who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, let, so, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Lord, let, Lord we thank you for this day and we thank you for your love toward us and this morning lord we ask that you would give us ears to hear from you god that you would open our hearts this morning lord that we would be able to grasp these truths that we'll look at today in your word may you be glorified in the preaching of your word but also in the hearing of your word god we thank you for this and we pray this in jesus good name and everybody said Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you need an outline, just raise your hand, and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want to be sure that you're able to follow along, that you're able to take some good notes, and uh, that you're able to utilize this, hopefully, in um, helping someone else grow in their faith as a disciple of Jesus. This is a good tool um, for you to sit down with someone, have some coffee, have a meal, and just really talk about what God has been speaking to you, what you have been learning on Sundays as we gather together as the body of Christ. And so this this morning, we are continuing in our Foundations of Faith series, and we're, we're getting closer to the end of the book of Romans, and again, the Apostle Paul has been very um, pr um, practical in the things that he's communicating, and remember, we got to keep in context, we have to keep in mind that there is a, a, a um, connecting that is occurring within the Roman church, right, and it is this, this, this um, non, these non-Jewish people who are Gentiles that are now in the faith, and then there are also so these Jewish people that are in the faith and they're struggling to really walk in unity. And so what, what, I, what I entitled this message today is Stop Tripping. Hallelujah. 
Sometimes, like, when, when we're trying to, like, get along, right, it's like, bro, just stop tripping, man. Like, why, why can't you relax, right? Like, like why can't you just kind of understand where someone is, right, and kind of get that, buddy? But here's what we want to talk about today. And so if you look at your outline here, it is of the utmost importance that we, the church, recognize the cunning plan of the enemy to divide us is ancient. It's not anything new and sadly very effective. Right? We've been talking about this a little bit in the last couple of weeks, right? And, and how the church has, has been attacked with this division. And, and, and listen, this is not solely in the church. This is in your marriage. This is in your home. It's in your family. The enemy is, he, listen, he has been working since, since the ancient times. Listen, since before you and I were, were around, before any of creation was around, guess what he was doing? He was planning division, right? What did he do in heaven? He caused a third of the angels. Come on now. There was no tree in heaven now, right? He caused the, but he caused a third of the angels to rebel against God and lose their position, right? To get cast out of heaven. I mean, that's pretty intense. I mean, this, 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 this enemy of ours has been working for a long time to divide. And what we have to recognize is, man, his, his, his tricks are not new. They're old, but they're effective if we are not wise to them. You see, by now we should be wise to the plan and outwitting the enemy. I mean, I think we should do that right like anybody who plays a sport and you are playing against the opposition what you try to do is you try to learn the opposition right you try to learn what they're about and then you do what you execute a plan right whether whatever this is you execute a plan to do what to outwit them to defeat them to gain the victory we do this in war we do this all over the place we try to outwit our enemies and so we as the church should be aware of the cunning plans of the enemy, and we should be seeking, and by now we should be outwitting him. But here is the sad truth. We find ourselves succumbing to the external pressures, and this is as the church, to the external pressures of secular, secularism, to the internal pressures of legalism, and to the personal pressures of individualism. And so what I want you to realize is that the church today is being bombarded with secular ideas. We have to grasp there is a difference between what is sacred and what is secular, right? There is a difference between what is carnal and what is godly. And the church is being pulled in that direction. And that's where you see all this liberalism and all of these lies that are coming in the church. And people are wrapping it up in scriptures. They're wrapping it up in words that sound right. They're quoting your Bible to you. And they're telling you, well, this is what the scripture says. But in the same breath, they're denying what other parts of the Bible say. And then we have this internal pull to legalism, right? We want things to be like they used to be, right? For some of us that have been in the church for a while, you know, you want things to go back to the way they used to be, back to the old days, the good old days, right? Like that's some of us, like that's what we want. We want, we want to go back there when things seem to be easier, right? When things seem to be more right and, and, and we have some legalism that's trying to pull on us. And then we have this other thing individually. We have this individualism that is so American, right? It's, it's, it's me. It's my way. It's the way I want to live. It's the way I think. And that's how, that, that's what we struggle with here. And so the question that I I, that, that I think we need to answer is how is it that we overcome this? How is it that we overcome this? I want you to look at these three pyramids that I, that, that I have, right? It's not a pyramid scheme, Al. Come on. 
But I want you to look at these three pyramids because I think that they're very important for us. And so there's three different pyramids, right, that I think. They're priority pyramids. And so the first one is what I would call a balance. And and I I want to talk to you about how we overcome this. And so in your notes there, right, you should have a place where you can write this in. But if you look at this, the balance, right, priority pyramid would be this. It is the essentials, right, are foundational. They're the most important. And then the second level in there is our convictions, right? Those things that we believe are right. Those things that are personal to us right and then at the top of that there the smallest one of all is what is our preferences right that's the way life I mean I think that that's that's balanced right we should have some essential things that are really important right then we, we should have some convictions and then we should have some preferences but here's the thing there I don't think that this is the best way for us to combat this why because I think right just, just this is just my thought my thought is that it's still individualism right because you and I can have our own essentials can we not We can decide, we can pick and choose what is essential. We can say, well, this is essential to me. This is important to me. And and these are my convictions. And and, and I have preferences. Well, let me show you an unbalanced, right? What an unbalanced um, pyramid of priorities looks like. And so we have this other way where things get flipped upside down. This is totally wrong, right? This is just messed up. Notice what's the biggest. The preferences are the biggest. The preferences are the most important. Then we go from our preferences to convictions, right? Which which is a little bit less. And then the smallest one, which should be greater if you're going to live balanced at all, it should be our essentials, and yet those become least. But let me tell you what I think is the biblical priority pyramid. The biblical priority pyramid would be this. And there's a difference between the balanced and the biblical, and here it is. The bottom of this one is that it is Christ-centered. The second thing is it is Spirit-led. And the third thing, it is God-pleasing. See, you notice this. When you talk about it being Christ-centered, this is not about just the essentials you think should be essential. But this is about what Christ deems essential. This is about the Word of God and what the Word of God deems essential. Not what I think is essential. Not what I think is the most important. But we go on ahead and we look at Scripture. And I want want to say this because I think that this is so very, very important. Everything, hear me when I say this, everything in this book is essential everything in this book is essential it's not just some things that are essential now listen not all things apply to us equally because we're under different covenant nonetheless from genesis to revelation is the word of god all of God's word is essential, not just some parts, not just the parts that we think are super important. Listen, I think the words in red, if you have the right Bible, right, you're, you're, the words of Jesus are in red. I think those words are extremely important, but I want you to know something. Those are not the only words in the Bible. Those are the words that are there, and if you think about it, in the original, it wasn't red letter. Hello. All of the words of scripture are essential, but it is Christ-centered is the way. I think that that's the foundation. And then we have to be spirit-led. So our convictions come by what? Not by any other force, but they are developed and they are growing by what? By being led by the spirit of the Lord. By us being in the scriptures, by us living a life that is Christ-centered. And then we move to the place where our preferences, it's no longer our preferences. The question is, does this please God? The question is, does this please God? And I want you to think about this. Just apply this to your own home. Just think about this inside of your house. If in your home you lived, you, not, 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 not him, not her, you. If you lived a life where you were like, man, I want to be Christ-centered in everything that I do. 
I want the foundation of everything I do to be Christ-centered. No matter what else everybody else in this home is doing, I want to be Christ-centered. And then I want my, I want my convictions to be led by the Holy Spirit. I want, my, I want the things that I believe are right, the way that we should live, things like that. I want that to be Spirit-led. And then you ask this question about everything that you like or don't like or whatever, and you said, God, is this pleasing to you? Think about how your life would be different. Now, think about your family. Think about your church. Think about the culture if we lived that way within the culture. Where it wasn't about my preference. It wasn't about my comfort. It was about God, does this please you? See, if we live that way, I think that's the way we come out of this. And I want you to think about this this morning. And this is a quote. I wish I could tell you who exactly said this. I have, I'm going to tell you why I can't tell you who said this. Because I have heard it be, um, be, a, be accredited to Augustine. I've heard it be accredited to other people. I have yet to read the book where it's originally written in. The only place that I I've ever seen it is through other people quoting it so I'm not going to tell you who said it I just want you to know that it was said by someone hello and here's what they said in essentials unity in non-essentials liberty and in all things charity in essentials unity in non-essentials liberty and in all things charity right and so the way that we deal with and I already said this and I will reiterate this all things in the scriptures are essentials. There's nothing outside of scripture that is not essential. I, I, I think that is so important. I was having a conversation with Hector. Him and I were talking about essentials. And, and, and it's funny because he was talking about some, some people that he knew um, that, were, that were going to a church. And they were in this church. And, I, and I'm just use this as an example. They were in a church. They were in a small group. They, had a, they were enjoying the church. Church was good. They, got, they were in a small group. And in the small group, the, the discussion came up about the gifts of the spirit. And in the, in the small group, they came to learn that that church did not believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And they were shocked because they believed in the gifts of the Spirit. They loved everything about the church. When it came to that one thing, they were like, man, I don't think that we could be here just because they don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. So Hector and I were talking about it, and Hector said, well, the per, his friend was like, well, yo, these, you know, they, they, these are non-essentials. These are secondary issues. And I'm like, hold on, time out, time out, time out. That's not a secondary issue. Why, why do I say that? Okay, 1 Corinthians. Well, first of all, let's talk about this real quick. It's essential because what? The Apostle Paul didn't, I, th th this is what messes me up with the scriptures, right? The Apostle Paul would have said, hey, these are secondary issues, guys. Don't worry about it. You, you, don't worry about that stuff there because it really doesn't matter, right? All you got to worry about is just Jesus. Hold on, it's time out, time out. That's not the way Paul talked. That's not the way Paul wrote. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul wrote three different times with regards to the gifts of the Spirit. And guess what? The Apostle Peter, he also decided to write about the gifts of the Spirit. I would think that those are not things that are, that are, that are non-consequential. Hello. But getting back to 1 Corinthians 14, why does this matter so much? Because here's what's up. The, the gifts of the Spirit are important because of salvation, of lost people. Because if we don't operate in the gifts of the Spirit correctly, guess what the Scripture says? The Scripture says if someone comes in among you who is unaware and you all are speaking in tongues and acting all crazy, guess what they're going to be like? Those people are crazy. I got to go. Right? However, if we are operating in the gifts of the Spirit correctly and we all prophesy, guess what the Scripture says? The Scripture says that the secrets of their hearts are revealed. And then they do what? They bow down before God. They humble themselves before Him. And they say, God is truly among them. So I think, I'm just saying, and I'll tell you one more reason why I think that the gifts of the Spirit are so essential. And if you haven't figured this out, we do believe in those gifts of the Spirit here. But here's what I want you to know. 
is that I firmly, firmly believe that when you reject what the scriptures teach regarding the gifts of the Spirit, you are grieving and disrespecting the Holy Spirit. Because he is the one who has given those gifts to the church for the edification of the body of Christ. But we'll move on. In essentials, we have to have unity. So you know how we get to that place of unity? is by having some tough conversations. By talking through the scriptures. By looking line upon line, precept upon precept. What do the scriptures say about those particular things? And so scripture is for, for sure essential. We must agree that the word of God is the inspired word of God. In non-essentials, we got to have liberty, right? So non-essentials is your convictions. Like you may believe this, you may believe that. We don't have to have unity on that as long as we can agree to what? As long as we can agree to the other thing and all things charity. Listen, even if we don't agree on the essentials, guess what? We can still be brothers and sisters in Christ. Hello. I have plenty of friends that don't believe exactly every single thing that I believe. And I love them to death. And I think we're going to be in heaven together and they're going to realize they were wrong. Hello. Be like, man, you were right. And I'm, I'm joking, right? I mean, come on, man. We're going to go to heaven, and we're all going to figure out, man, I was wrong there. I missed it. Hello. I'm, I, I missed that one. We're going to be sitting down with Jesus somewhere one day and be like, you know, when you said this, you was just totally off. You didn't even know what you were talking about. The other day in church and, and, and at CrossFit, they asked a question. They usually have like a question of the day or the question of the week or whatever. And the question of the day was, who would, it, who would you, if you could choose one person to sit down and have a conversation with, who would it be? Right? Have dinner with them. De dead or alive, right? And so I'm not going to tell you who the alive person was because some of y'all might get offended. But here's the thing. The dead person, I thought about it. And I said, man, if there was one person I could sit down with that's dead, it would be the Apostle Paul. And I said, because I would ask him, bro, what, what, why did you say this and, like, not explain it clearly? Like, why did, you, why did you say these things and just leave it open for interpretation? Why? Because we're over here arguing, you know, 2,000 years later after you're writing about what you meant. And so he would just clear some stuff up. And then I'd be able to come back and be like, y'all, check this out. This is what Paul said. He didn't even know himself. Glory to God. Anyway, right? And, and I told the person we were talking, I said, man, and they say, he said, Paul probably didn't know. I said, yeah, but I don't know from him would clear a lot of stuff up. Hello. Because he'd be like, listen, I was just writing about the glory of God. I was writing about things that were even beyond my understanding, but I penned them and wrote them down. And so anyway, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. So the first thing I'd ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, receiving one another, receiving one another. Is, the is the first step towards unity. Now, I want you to repeat after me one more time. Say, engaging people where they are, where they are. Is, the is the first step towards unity. So what I want you to realize is this first point that you have there, if you're taking notes, you should write down under there, engaging people where they are. That's what it means to receive one another, right? And, 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 and so we have to have this thought and this understanding of what Paul says. And so Paul, in verses 1 through 13, he's talking about receiving one another. And I want you to notice, just look back at verse 1 there. Look what he says immediately. He says, receive one who is weak. Say, who is weak? Receive one who is weak, is what he communicates, and he says, in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. So if you were to take that but out of that sentence, it says it like this. Receive one who is weak in the faith, not to disputes over doubtful things. In other words, receive them, but don't start arguing about dumb stuff. That's what he's saying. And what he's pointing out, notice immediately he points out that there is a person or a group of people within your midst that are weak in the faith. Now, come on. Nobody wants to be weak in the faith, right? 
Now, here's, here, here's, what, here's what's going to bother some of you when I tell you who the person is. See, some of you already know this. But when I was studying this one time, and I, I, actually I heard somebody else say this, I was like, man, that's not even right. But you know, you know, you know who the weak person in the faith is? You know, you know who the weak one is? The weak one isn't the one doing all the crazy stuff. The weak one in the faith is saying, you can't do crazy stuff. That's terrible, is it? Right? The weak one in the faith, he says the one. Now, listen, I want you to know. I know y'all looking at me like, Bishop, where are we going with this? Don't worry. We're not going nowhere crazy. Listen, I know what the scripture says. We're going to walk right through this together. But I want you to notice the weak one in the faith is the one who is looking at everything that everybody's doing in their liberty, and they just can't live. They're like dying, like, oh, my goodness. How are they doing that? How could they do that? How could they? Oh, they po- they're overwhelmed. That is a person who the scripture says is weak in the faith. That's what the Bible teaches. This is what Paul is saying here. He says, receive, but look what he says. Receive such a one. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over these things that that you don't, that that, that are not clear, those gray areas in the scriptures. He goes on to say in verse 2, he says, for one believes he may eat all things. Hello, somebody. But he who is weak eats only vegetables. He's like, yo, you can't eat that food sacrificed to idols. So he's like, I don't know what was sacrificed to idols. Therefore, I don't, he doesn't believe that you can pray over this food that was sacrificed to idols and say, God, I am not devoting this food to idols, but I need this nourishment. Hello. And so I pray you bless it, sanctify it, and just deliver it from its demonic influence. Hello. He doesn't feel like he can do that. And so what he does, he's a vegetarian. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for every vegetarian in the room. Glory to God. <laughs> I really am sorry because I couldn't be a vegetarian. But anyway. He says, let not him, now look at this, who eats, despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat, judge him who eats, for what? For God has received him. See, so rather than receiving one another, despite our differences of conviction and our opinions, what do we do? We judge and we despise one another. We look down on one another. We criticize one another. And so I want to clear this up because I I, want to make this as clear as I can because these are gray areas. But when we're looking at this stuff, right, in that time, what was the dispute? The dispute specifically in this chapter was about food and about days. That's what the dispute is. And so the Jewish believers, they were what? They were saying, man, you can't eat those meats because those meats in the meat markets in Rome, most of them have probably been devoted unto these idols. Therefore, we cannot eat those meats because they are an abomination to the Lord, right? So they're, they're, they're upset about this. And then they're like, and hey, there are holy days, right? There are certain days that are holy on our calendar, and we need to separate those days as holy. And Paul is like, listen, he's going to talk about this later on. But that was the issue in those days. So how does that affect us today? How about this? The gray areas, right? The gray areas. Notice this. The dietary laws that Israel was bound to, guess what they don't do? They don't make it through the cross. They don't make it to the other side of the cross. After Jesus dies, no longer are those dietary things mandatory, so we can't say those are going to be imposed on anyone, right? The same thing for the festivals, the same thing. All of those days are great. At the end of this month, we're actually going to join in on 10 days of prayer and fasting that that, that is happening throughout the world, or or at least throughout the United States. It's just a powerful time that is going between two different Jewish holidays. It's going to be a powerful time of prayer, powerful time of worship. We're celebrating that time, but it doesn't mean that we believe that this is the only time that the church can do 10 days of fasting and prayer that's not that we're just unifying around this time but in our present day we have those gray areas right like our politics come on now 
Y'all know I'm going to preach about that in November. Y'all better be here. Glory to God. Don't leave me alone. I'm doing it for you to help us as the church. But here's the thing. We walk around, oh, I don't know, how, how, how could they, how could he or she be this, right? How could you be a Republican, right? How, how could you be, how could you be a Democrat? How about this? How could you have voted for Donald Trump? Come on, somebody. Come on now, y'all, let's keep it real here, right? How, how, how? Okay. Gray areas, is it not? Is it not? It's all about conviction when it comes to those types of things. What about educational decisions for our children? Well, you have some people, I mean, I pre we preached a sermon series here a while long, a few, uh, a few years ago, and we talked about the different options that are there. Well, is public school okay for kids? I don't know. What do you think as a parent? That's the question, right? What, 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 where does your conviction lead you on that? What about homeschooling? Is that the right way to go? Maybe it is. What about private school, right? Maybe that's the way to go. It depends on what you sense as conviction on these areas, right? We have these different areas in which we're divided, right? Entertainment, right? Like, like some people, I remember somebody had a conversation with me, and I, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, what I'm about to say to you sounded outrageously crazy to me, right? Nonetheless, this was their conviction. And they were like, well, so this is the way they govern their children. So they govern their children the way that their children could watch certain movies was like this and listen so every I want to say this as a disclaimer this is not Bishop saying to any kid in here this is what you tell your parents no 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 that's not what I'm saying right parents I'm not saying this way to go I already said that I thought this was crazy nonetheless this was their conviction they said here's the thing you know all the, the ratings that they have so they have G ratings right so their kids up until the age of 13 they could only watch G rated movies when they were 13 years old guess what they could start doing they could start watching the PG 13 movies and then when they were 18 guess what they could do they could start watching rated R movies that's that was their decision now for me I'm like that's a little crazy because I know PG 13 movies some of them should be rated R hello Right? That's why I think it's a crazy, nonetheless, that was their conviction. Right? There's some people, listen, you, some of y'all, some of y'all sit down and you don't even hear curse words. When you're watching movies, you're like, did, did they curse? <laughs> you know, it, it's so funny because I sat down with my son the other day. This is going to sound so bad, but I'm just going to say this. I know some of y'all will laugh, maybe, I don't know, or cry, but <sighs> I'm going to say it. So, I was watching President Trump at one of his rallies. And you know what my son kept doing the whole time? This is what he was doing. That's a potty word. That's a potty word. That's a potty word. I'm like, man, our president needs to watch his mouth, man. I'm like, literally, every time, because let, 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 me, let me help you understand what my son's understanding of potty words are. Like heck, like hell, right? Like stupid. Like those are potty words to him because, like, Josiah, that is a potty word, right? Nonetheless, the, the fact of the matter is, it's like, hold on, but, but some of us, right, our entertainment, the music we listen to, like there's got to be, listen, there's some stuff I could sit down and be like, how on earth can you listen to that, right? Like I'm a firm believer in the garbage in, garbage out stuff. Anyway, nonetheless, we can divide over that stuff, but, but there has to be, right, some people come, right, at, at a certain point in their life, they come to Christ, and as they're growing in the Lord, they start to realize, hold on, that is not holy, Okay, so we have to understand certain principles, right? And here's how we can receive one another. And so there's so many other things that I could talk about, like different choices that we have. But nonetheless, I talked about the drinking one last week, and I'll close with this one as a difference. Some people, they believe like 100%. And listen, I could make some really good arguments, and you can ask anybody that's ever talked to me about drinking. I could make some really, really good arguments that drinking is unholy, 100%. But here's what I want to say about that. For some people, drinking is sin. For some of you in the room, drinking may be sin. Why? Because you cannot drink without getting drunk. 
You have an addiction. You have an issue. And it's not to condemn you. It is simply to call you to account. Like, hey, you cannot have a dependence. Like, you got to have a beer or two or three or four every day. I think there's a problem with that. Right? Like, 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 I think there needs to be some dependence on the Holy Spirit, right? Like, don't be drunk, right? But be filled with the Spirit. Like, those things should be occurring in our lives. And so, we have this idea that there's these differences. So, how do we receive one another? Here's, here's, here's how it is. And I'm going to go quickly through these. First of all, we can receive one another because, number one, verses one through three, God has received us. I just read those verses. God has received us. That's the reason why we can engage people where they are. Whether they're non-believers or they are believers, we can engage them where they are because God has received us. The second thing is God has sustained us. Verse 4. Look at verse 4 of me. It says, why, who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. God is the one who makes us stand. Let's go on to the next one. Jesus is Lord. Look at verse 5. He says one. He says this. He says one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced, convinced, convinced in his own mind. Listen, I, I want to pause there. Here's the thing with convictions. You and I need to be fully convinced. If we're not fully convinced, we shouldn't be going that route. Right? You don't ever, listen to me now, I said this last week, don't let anyone cause you to violate your convictions or your conscience. Don't do that. Walk in the convictions that you have. Don't try to impose your convictions on anyone. And let me tell you something else. Don't try to develop anybody else's convictions either. Show them what the scriptures say. Remember I said Christ-centered? Let's be Christ-centered. Let's be centered on who Christ is. Let's be centered upon the gospel and what God is wanting to do. And so we have to have this right mindset. We have to have this understanding that God is the one who sustains us. We have to understand that Jesus is Lord, verse 5 through 9. He says this, he who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord... He does not eat and gives God thanks for none. Listen, for none of us lives to himself and none, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Jesus is Lord. Verse 10, Jesus is judge. Now, this is important. Very important when we think about what's right, what's wrong, what is okay, what is not okay. He says this, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt to your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You heard that? Who's he writing to again? To us, right? Obviously us not there at that moment. He's writing to the church. He's writing these verses to us. He's saying we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. And so we can receive one another because Jesus is Lord. He goes on to say, for it is written, as I say, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account to himself before the Lord. So in case you didn't get it before, he wanted to repeat it again. We're all going to give an account unto the Lord. And so here's my question. My question is this. Do you think? Now think about this. 
Do you think it is possible to have, don't, and don't, don't shout out an answer, all right? Just think about this. Do you think it is possible to have real unity without 100% agreement? Do you think it's possible to have real unity without 100% agreement? And I'm going to tell you, yes. It is possible to have real unity without 100% agreement as long as we have unity on the essentials. Right? As the church, listen, we don't have to agree on every single thing. Right? Like you may feel like we should be singing hymns or something like that. I don't know. You may feel like we should have pews instead of seats. I don't know. You may feel like, you know, we should sing three, two songs instead of three or four. You may think we should sing seven songs. You may think worship should be an hour long, and you may think worship should be ten minutes long. I don't know. <laughs> but nonetheless, we can, we, those are non-essential things that we can discuss and we can talk about and we can see, okay, who's right, who's wrong. But here's the biggest thing that, that matters. The biggest thing is that we have unity on the essentials. And so we have to get this. Unity is more important than agreement. Are you here? Unity is more important than agreement. Unity around the essentials, right? We don't have to agree on every other thing, but what we do have to agree on is the essentials. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, edifying one another is how we strengthen our unity. Edifying one another is how we strengthen our unity. Say this with me again. Say, building faith in Christ is how we strengthen our unity. Building faith in Christ is how we strengthen our unity. What does Paul go on to say, verses 13 to verse 23? I think verse 13 is like the crux of this whole portion of Scripture. He says this, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. And so what I believe firmly is that Paul's argument for us is right here in this scripture. It is that we shouldn't judge one another. And listen, you know that we don't believe that judging is unbiblical. What we do believe is condemning is what Paul is talking about. Condemning someone because they don't believe exactly like you believe on the non-essential things. That those things are wrong, and that is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. The Apostle Paul is not saying, hey, if someone comes and tells you, yeah, I don't believe that Jesus was um, God the Son, that's a problem. Hello. You're not judging by saying, hey, you have a problem in your belief system. Oh, well, I don't believe that Jesus lived a, a sinless life, right? I don't believe that Jesus, uh, that, 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 he, that he died and, and really rose again. I don't believe, well, okay, hold on, time out. I can judge you on that, right? I can say, and I'm not judging you in the sense of saying you're going to hell. What I'm telling you is at this exact moment, you're believing a different Jesus than the one in Scripture. You're believing a different gospel than the one that is in the scriptures. And, but we're talking about non-essentials, about what people eat, about the days that people call holy. Paul is like, hold on a second. Don't judge one another and say, oh, you're going to hell because of that. Hold on a second. Time out. Jesus did something. What we need to do is not want to put a stumbling block in front of each other's life. And so here's the thing. It'd be really easy to just say, you know what? That's how they believe. I'm just going to leave them alone. Wouldn't it? Isn't that easier? Isn't it easier when you just see someone who's acting a fool, someone who's got issues or whatever, isn't it easier to just say, you know what, I'm just going to stay away from them? 
Come on now, that's easier, right? It, it, it's, it's real simple to just say, I'm not going to get with you. I'm not going to deal with you. But that's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to engage people where they are, build faith in Christ. That means we need to have some conversations. We need to deal with some things as we talk with one another. And so rather than just leaving others to themselves, we're called to do what? We're called to keep each other from tripping. We're called to keep each other from falling. We're called to keep each other from stumbling over things. We're called to help each other grow in faith. And so here's what I'll say. Building each other's faith requires an understanding of certain principles. And I have time to read through each and every one of these, but I want to give you some bullet points for these. The first one is we need to recognize that we affect each other. That's verses 13 to verse 15. We affect one another. We have an effect with each other, right? We can hurt each other. We can help one another. And so it's important for us to grasp that, that truth that we should be doing what? That we should think about what we're doing. Think about how our actions affect each other. I encourage you to sit down and read through these verses so that way you can really grasp what Paul is saying here. The, the second principle is this, is that our priorities must be in order, right? Our priorities must be in order. We must want people to grow in their faith, not to to become more like us, but to become more like Christ. Not to do things the way we want them to do them, but for them to do things the way that God calls them to do them. The next one is that there should be a pursuit for maturing faith. We should want to help people grow in their faith. We should be pursuing how can I help my brother grow? How can I help my sister grow? And some of that is just praying for them, encouraging them, loving them, coming beside them, spending time with them, being about making disciples in their lives. We have to be concerned about the spiritual growth of our brothers and sisters. That is what disciple-making is all about. And the last conviction that I'll give you in verses 22 to verse 23 is do not force our convictions or opinions on others. Don't force your opinions on others. Don't force your convictions on others. Help people grow in their understanding of what your Bible teaches, of what the scriptures teach. Show them what is truth. Lead them in the way of righteousness. But don't try to impose upon them what you are convicted about, what you have preferences for. Let them see what truth is and let the Holy Spirit develop them. And the third thing, y'all are going to love this one. It is this. Say this with me. Say, pleasing one another, pleasing one another. is how... We maintain our unity. <laughs> Pleasing one another is how we maintain our unity. Right? I know I, when, I, when I wrote it, I'm like, they're going to love this one. Because we're not man pleasers, are we? Are we called to please one another? Well, let's look down real quick because we didn't read any of verse 15 uh, or chapter 15. But look at verse, chapter 15. Paul continues on and he says this. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples or the silliness <laughs> of the weak. And not to, listen to what he says, not to please ourselves. He goes on to say, let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Pleasing others is not so much about pleasing them as it is denying yourself. Get that. It's not about being men pleasers. It's about living a life where you are thinking about others, not just yourself. Where you're thinking about how your actions, how your behavior affects others. So you know what Paul said here earlier? He said it earlier in the chapter. Look, look at verse, just go back to chapter 14, verse 21. Look what he says here. He says, it is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles 
or is offended or is made weak. That's important, is it not? He said, it's better for you to be uncomfortable. It's better for you to deny yourself some pleasures in order to ensure your brother, your sister does not stumble. Paul goes on to say something else, and this is really important for us in verse 4. He says, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So what does he do? He points us back to the scriptures, and he says, listen, you know how you're supposed to live? From the truth of scripture. You're supposed to look at what the scriptures say so that way you are able to influence your brothers, your sisters for good. And then he goes on to prayer and he says this. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture and prayer are the keys for us to live a life that is pleasing to God, that is not just pleasing to us, but is also pleasing and is helpful to those that are around us. In verse 7, we're going to pick up on this next week, but look at verse 7. It says, therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So Jesus is what? Jesus is our example. Here's what I want you to know. If we are not in God's word, if we are not in prayer, you know what happens? We become distracted. We get caught up in those other issues that are not essentials, that are not about being Christ-centered. We get caught up in those other things, and then what ends up happening is the enemy is able to infiltrate and bring us to a place where we are not walking in unity. And so here's my closing question. I said the title of the message was Stop Tripping. And so here's my question for you. Where do you need to stop tripping? maybe, maybe you're causing someone to trip. Hello. Maybe you're tripping about someone else's behavior. And listen, as a brother, as a sister in Christ, I always tell people this because there's some people, they don't like my opinions, right? There's some people, they don't like some of my thoughts or, you know, whatever, you know, not that in my head, but that I may communicate. And you know what I always do? This is what I always do when someone wants to confront me about something. I always ask them this. Did I sin? Did I sin? Because you may be offended because of something that you don't agree with me on, right? We talked about this stuff already, right? You may be offended by something you don't agree with me on, but the question is, did I sin? Did I say something that was sinful? Not that I offend your opinion, because my listen, I don't live by your opinions, nor do you live by mine. When I come to your house, right, you may, you may clean up some stuff or whatever the case is, but nonetheless, you don't run your household according to my opinions. We should all be running our household according to Scripture. So the question is, where do you need to stop tripping, right? So maybe, hey, maybe you're in here and you're not, a, you're not even a believer. And you're just like, man, I, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to walk. But listen, you need to understand something. Jesus died so all of us could stop tripping. Hello. That's why he died. He died so we would stop falling over our sin. He died so we would stop falling over one another, judging one another. He died so that we could walk in unity. And so if you're not a believer, the first thing you need to do is come to Christ. The first thing you need to do is humble yourself before the Lord. If you are a believer, you need to ask yourself, man, am I causing people to trip? Is my attitude or my behaviors or the things that I do, are they causing people to trip? Am I thinking about them when I live or am I just thinking about myself? And I want to close with this prayer here from Jesus. If you would stand with me, bow your heads where you are. Here's what the scripture says. 
Jesus prayed this prayer. He said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, and that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, we humble our hearts before you today and we pray, Spirit of God, that you would unify our hearts despite our differences. Lord, help us to live lives that don't just think about ourselves, our preferences, or our likes or dislikes, but that we would always ask the most important question, does it please you? Does it please you? Lord, forgive us for allowing discord to enter into our families, to enter into our church, to enter, Lord God, into even our culture and in the influences and relationships that we have. Forgive us for putting stumbling blocks in the way of others. Father, help us to live above reproach for your glory and for your honor, that the world would know that there is great hope in our great Savior. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on and give the Lord a hand.